All right, Jack, you know what really grinds my gears? I, I want to know. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Let's talk about Starbucks. And I know this is going to sound stupid, and I know this is going to sound silly, but when I pay like $18 for a Pike's Place medium, one, let me say the word medium, medium, you can't medium. Say, no, you don't buy mediums at Starbucks. Also, if we ever hope they were going to be a sponsor, that's just down the drain right now. I'm just <laughs> like, do we really want to kick that sponsor out? Yes, because Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> is better. Um <laughs> And I don't care. Like, like I, I go there and I'm like, Vente, what does that mean? I don't need to do Google Translator before I do order my coffee. And and if I'm paying like $18 for a cup of Pike's Place that I can do in my Keurig for not like for 25 cents, I'm, I really want you to put the damn milk in. <laughs> I think Milk's they do over now. there. No, I think they do now because of COVID. They used to oh. not do it, but now they do have it behind there. But it was they didn't want to. That's just because that's just a COVID thing, right? Well, so. I, I, it's why I don't go there anymore. <laughs> like, and then another thing that irritated me because I actually did go there recently because my was with my wife. We were driving around. But long story short, don't if you sell stuff at the drive-through window, don't be surprised when people want to add that on and they got to redo your damn order and make them pay twice. Oh. That was so like. Oh, let me get my manager. No, I just want cookies. Just, just hand me the cookie. Here's, just here's a tenner. Like, just, yeah, I'll pay ten dollars for your stupid cookie. So, yeah, just <laughs> give me the damn cookie. You know I what? Always, what always, what has annoyed me was tall was their shortest cup. Yeah. Did this not irritate anyone else? Totally. <laughs> Like I would go and I would say I want a small, like a tall, I'm like no, the smallest one you have. Yeah, not not the tallest one you have. <laughs> not the t- literally the opposite of what I asked for. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining us. We're gonna get right into it. Welcome to Demo Jockeys. My name is Adam D. Tomas, and of course, join with me always is Jack. Hey everybody, welcome in, welcome in. Hope hope you got your coffee. That's something yes. about Starbucks today. <laughs> Because we're going to jump into another great conversation with Ron Whitson, VP of Global Presales Services at Seismic. And, of course, we're talking about range. range. Yeah, by David Epps. There we go. It wasn't Avid. It was David. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. How you hold up books is – can I just say this? (laughs) Holding up books for the camera was not a skill I thought I needed to develop before I started doing this podcast. No kidding. how many times have you covered the name? <laughs> oh, like every time. I think also the first episode, we both held them up out of frame. <laughs> the, if you go back to the, I think, no, I think it was our trailer. We both were holding up the books out of frame. Like, hey, because we didn't you? realize like how it was going to crop down. <laughs> but yeah, excited. Like, yeah. So part one was last week. If you didn't hear part one, you can pause this, go back, watch or listen to last week's. We're picking back up today, diving right back into his thoughts on being a generalist and kind of his background. Um, Shall we get to the episode? Let's get to the episode. All right. We'll see you there. I I love the aspect of working with your team on kind of going, pulling in those resources. On that note, as we think about people on your team or other people you've worked with other SCs or people who may be looking to get into it. And let's say they've been going down the specialist route. Their whole career maybe is in one area and they're going, Hey, I feel like now I'm missing out on being a specialist. Ron, what, what would you say to someone who is in that boat and wants to kind of broaden their general list, their generalist nature (laughs) away from being a specialist to kind of draw upon more of the things that would, would help. Yeah. I, 
I think they've got to get themselves the grace and permission to, to, to fail, right? I think Adam said it earlier, you know, a lot of people are afraid of failing and that paralyzes us sometimes. But if you're going to break out of that specialty and you're going to try to take on something new, you've got to give yourself the grace to maybe not be the best at it immediately. Um, I, again, I, I think that's step one. And I think a, a thing that could help with that is if you're looking for something else to branch into, and, and Epstein talks about it a lot with this idea of matching, find something that appeals to you. And, and that can be a little bit of a, a softer entry, possibly, if you've got some kind of parallel interest that you could go pursue. And, and that could be something as simple as, you know, some of these people who are wanting to break into pre-sales, when I talk to them a lot, a lot of the time, I'll ask them, you know, what is your experience in? And this one young lady, she had been working as a customer service advisor for an, an insurance company. It's like, okay, then, then find insurance companies and find people who are using software at those insurance companies in that role because you bring some immediate credibility there. So yeah, it's a new thing you're taking on, but it's in a neighborhood that's comfortable to you and it's a neighborhood that you are familiar with. So that can be a huge help. You know, that's a that's a real interesting concept, but I want to piggyback something from the book onto the back of that. And there's the idea of too much grit. Sometimes <laughs> we see, you, you know, and then you think you know where I'm going with this. Like just the idea that they're either trying too hard and we need to redirect or if you're not having success that you should be, is it time to reevaluate? And that's where I think being a generalist, it's probably a lot easier to adapt to that scenario as opposed to if you're a specialist where boy, it's just not where I have the base education. I yeah. Mean, that, that goes back to what Ron was talking about earlier, right? That's That was the starting of his career, right? That's what you yeah. were saying. Because you had all that breadth of IT when someone said trial pre-sales, you're like, yeah, that's another thing I know how to try. Like, you've tried enough times. You've been there with trying out new things enough. I guess if, if people haven't spent the amount of time just trying stuff, trying something is scary. Well, and a couple of Big things, camera. right? And I kind of, I, I kind of laughed a little bit, Adam, because Angela Duckworth, she's she's fantastic. She actually presented at our big company activity uh, last year, so we got to listen to her in person talk about grit and things like that. So it, it's great. It's funny because you know she she talks about the pressures on her as an Asian American and, and that kind of family, that kind of upbringing. And and I think that's just so true today. We all are so busy. We're all so focused on achievement that we worry a lot about those things. And, um, you know, again, I think it's all about giving yourself some grace and finding something that's going to make you happy and, and something that you can be successful at. And, and you know, the, the thing is, and I think uh, Epstein talks about in the book a little bit, that's what college used to be for. College was for trying a lot of things and seeing what you liked. And now it's more about you got to dive right in on day one to what you're going to do for the next 20 years. And that's not a choice you want to make it's when you're, so you know, true. 18, 20 years old. It's so true. I mean, my daughter right now is doing a dual enrollment with her high school and the college. And she came down her first semester of doing this. She's a junior in high school, stressed that she's making the wrong choice on her college <laughs> degree. And I'm like, oh, my God. I changed degrees five times and I turned out fine, maybe. I mean, kind of, okay. <laughs> Don't say anything. But, like, you're right. Like, what we're putting so much pressure to get it right as opposed to try it. Yeah. Like, try stuff out. Try all the different roles. Switch. Don't be afraid to say this didn't work. You know, it's funny well, you listen. say that because my daughter's 19 and she's in the throes of college. And what's interesting about that is she's an art history major. 
man, you know, like some like my own my father from that generation, you know, he's 80 years old, old a lot older than all of us, but he was like, wow, our history, you know, hmm, kind of grumpy about it. And I was like, dad, that's what she wants to do. Because the most successful guy I know financially who is a basically in the finance industry measured in oceanography of four years at University of Rhode Island. Zero to do about banking. Zero to do about money, finance, anything. But he can tell you more about that clam on your plate than anybody else I know. So... I just think it's, it's probably important. been helpful at dinners, right? Oh, he's I feel always like taking clients at dinners. out. He's always going to the seafood restaurant because he knows that's where his that's his specialization that it's, no one saw coming. Right, it's oceanography. <laughs> but um, it's just funny because it, it's just it's, it, you know you would think oh you must have majored and you must have a doctorate in finance. No, no, I majored in fishing college. Not that I'm you know, not trying to discredit him for that, but it's just an interesting idea and it kind of supports and as evidence of what we've all been talking about trying new things. So, so I mean, I, I would say that none of the jobs that the three of us have existed 20 years ago. People people are trying to, you know, plan a job for a future when they the future hasn't been written. They don't know what the jobs are going to be. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, yeah, the, the, old, the old concept of a sales engineer, she's 20, 30 years ago, in my opinion, was someone who came from support where I got my start, technical support. You got a good voice. Maybe you should try to start doing demos and I'm going to give you the most feature function demo with the same monotone and not saying change anything. And that's what I did for about five years and every single time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It was I mean, the least objectionable technical person you could find. Yes. Yep. Yes, it was. This is kind of a, a funny thought that I had. I remember when ChatGPT started becoming the thing, every company needed open AI. I remember seeing a job posting for a company wanting an open, a senior open AI engineer who had five years of experience working with ChatGPT. <laughs> and, and I just like, do you really realize what you're like? That doesn't exist because it's not been around that long. <laughs> like the, the jobs that we have now in the industries are all changing so fast. Yeah. You almost can't specialize in some things anymore, right? In valuing instead what it is that would make someone good at working with, say, OpenAI or ChatGPT is what you need to value as opposed to someone who's been in an adjacent field for, you know, that may or may not be relevant. I'll, every time this conversation comes up with a good friend of mine, I always talk about, yeah, you know, the buggy whip manufacturers probably are having a hard time too. And the story goes to, you know, the point that when these uh, horseless carriages started to run around, the buggy whip manufacturers had two choices. They could sit there and they could say, no, 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 I, you know, I, I think it's a passing fad. I'm going to stay here manufacturing my buggy whips. Or they could pivot. They could figure out something else that they could do that would fit this new industry that was coming. And I think it's just this constant, you know, digital transformation. It's always happening. Um, and I think in addition to having range and being a specialist, another thing that can really help people is to be change agents and be open to change and understand that everything's going to change all the time and says sitting there, you know, moaning about it and saying why it's so bad, look for the opportunities it provides. And I think I've, I think that's actually something I've been able to, to showcase in, in my career. And I have specialized in pre-sales. I mean, 26 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm a specialist in pre-sales, but I'm a generalist in that there's a lot of things I can do. And I think in pre-sales, there are a lot of things that we do. We do a little bit of marketing. We do a little bit of presentation. We do a lot of selling. So it's a bunch of different disciplines actually combined within our profession. I like that. 
to, to be a pre-sales, I never thought about that. To, to be a good pre-sales person, uh, specialized, it's a specialization made up of generalist activities. A bunch right. of domains. Is a way of thinking about it. But even then, I mean, I've talked to different pre-sales people who do vastly different roles than what I've done in my pre-sales career. Uh, you know, you think about different company sizes that you sell to. If you're a pre-sales person for a product-led sales company versus an enterprise-based company. If you're a, I had one place where I sold 12 different pieces of software versus places where I sell one thing and one use case over and over again. So even within pre-sales, I feel like there's the ability to out branch out and generalize and, and grow more as a whole, you know, complete package of a pre-sales person. I agree. And that's going to say no, the other thing is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was going to say the other thing is, you know, I think in pre-sales, one of our main jobs is problem solving. And I think David does a good job in the book of talking about the best problem solvers are those who are able to bring in lots of different domains. There was a story about a lot of the chemical companies that were trying to solve problems with these very highly trained, highly educated chemists. But because they were so constricted to their domain of knowledge, they didn't think outside the box. And so it was these people who brought ideas from completely other industries really, you know, started solving these. It was such a simple application, but was thinking about the problem in a completely different way. So I, th I think that's another big benefit to having range, being a generalist as an SE. It's going to give you broader venues to solve these problems for our for our customers. That's a great point. And actually, this whole conversation brings me back to a section in this book. Um, it just it reminds me of the lateral thinking with withered technology, uh, chapter nine. And the reason why I mean it's just a great little story about about a little Japanese company called Nintendo that actually you know that really took that older tech not older tech but yeah older tech what was available pre-packaged and should change the packaging of it and was able to turn a smaller company obviously into the great Nintendo entertainment company that's out there right now yeah I think they're still around they're doing okay yeah they're doing all right a couple movies but <laughs> and my daughter's got a switch but the reason why I thought that was interesting was because lateral thinking as an SE is important because you have to think outside of the box. You have to think, I mean, lateral thinking for anyone is important. And if, you, if we think about a use case, we're presented with a problem that we need to use our platform to solve. What, no matter your marketing, security, I don't, whatever. If you are a solutions consultant, a sales engineer, pre-seller, you are presented with a problem and you need to take your solution and apply it to that problem. That involves lateral thinking and a great concept from range and one that I didn't even, even recognize myself until I read it and I thought, geez, that's, that's use case adaption. That's, that's part of my job. Yeah. It's been amazing for me reading through range and going, this wasn't written for me in sales, yeah. but it's just defining the things that I've had to learn how to do right it's almost like it could be a required reading it could be a manual for here's a different here here's putting the structure to all the things that you've probably cobbled together over the course of your pre-sales yep. career let's put a name to it now let's put a name to it. The, the lateral thinking the the kind versus wicked world uh generalization like broadening your reach and your understanding that's that's what it takes to be pre-sales <laughs> like this it for me it was a defining moment reading the book it really was 
Yeah. You know, the, the other thing, too, that, that I thought about as we were going through this is, you know, as SEs, we're speaking a lot of times to groups of people who have a great deal of expertise and knowledge in a particular industry. Uh, seismic sells to financial services, so there's a lot of stuff there. In the past, I've sold to pharmaceutical, and there's a lot of industry knowledge there and, and some specialization there. You know, it, it can be very daunting when you're going into that meeting and you're presenting to these people who have many times more expertise in that area than you do. But, you know, what I tell people is and what I've told myself when I was in that situation is I, I can't be that expert. I'm, I'm not expected to be that expert in their industry. I'm expected to be an expert in the solution I'm bringing to them and an expert in communicating how this solution can help them. So I think that's another little mind trick or just a way to think that can help us have a little more confidence, a little more, you know, ease when we go into those meetings is if I go and I'm talking to a bunch of bankers who've been doing this for 30 years, of course, I'm not going to be able to, you know, research or chat GPT or anything else to have that level of knowledge to go in there and compete with that. I'm a I'm an expert on my solution. And so, you know, let me share my knowledge with you. You share your knowledge with me and we'll figure out if this is going to be a mutual benefit for both of us. Yeah. I mean, that that was a free moment for me when I, I kind of read that idea of you're never going to be, you're never going to have the same level of expertise and experts, the people who you're talking to, but they're not looking at you for that, right? And that's, right. that's I think, something we lose sight of as solution consultants. It's that whole meme of we're the expert, that that there's there's a YouTube video I'll link to in the notes description. If you guys haven't seen it, I'll show it. It's this guy who's like, the people are asking to do things and he's the expert. And Well, you're the expert. You should know how to do that. It's like, can you... Like draw a blue circle, but make it red, something like that. Like, of course I can. I'm the expert. It's like, that's how people, that's what we feel like people are thinking. They're thinking about that only from the perspective of what we're actually selling, not about their world. Like we need to be competent, but we're, we don't need to try and match their level of, of depth, right? Which is a little bit freeing. I agree with that thought. And I mean, just to add on to that, and this is a concept that I, that I came up, I mean, you know, not necessarily from range, but from just my own experiences. And I think this is useful to you out there, listener in the world is, and in my opinion, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Do you think that, like, basically I've accepted the fact that I will never be the expert in the room outside of my platform that I'm responsible. I know for a fact when I walk into the room, I'm the expert in my platform, but I've conceded that I'm not going to be the expert in all things. I'm not going to be the expert on their industry. And I'm fine with that. I'm comfortable with that. And I think all SE should be. I, I think they should be as well. I've gotten to the point now where I believe that I know what I know. And so there's there's quite a bit that I, I know. But, you know, there's someone who probably knows more than me. But if we want to have a conversation, I'll very openly share what I know and my thoughts. And some of them are more, more strongly held than others. But if you've got a conflicting view, throw it out on the table and let's have a good, healthy discussion about it. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, this, is all, this is all good stuff. So, Ron, before we run out of time, I did want to open up. Um, anything that you wanted to kind of to highlight, anything going on that you wanted to, to shout out or call out or anything that you think we missed kind of going through the book? I don't know if anything we, we missed. I mean, you guys have done a great job of covering it the last couple of episodes. And again, what a pleasure and a treat to join you for this one. And, and thank you again for the opportunity. Um, as, I, as I read through the book, there were a couple of things that hit me that were just kind of funny. Um, David Epstein talks about, you know, he's going to go into the Air Force to be an astronaut. And that was actually one of my first desires, right? I was planning on going to uh, Air Force ROTC to be a shuttlecraft pilot. That was my uh, 
that was my goal and uh, worked so hard for that that when I didn't get that scholarship, I really didn't have another plan and I ended up doing this IT stuff. But I guess it's worked out okay. It's worked out. I mean, it seemed pretty good for you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> going, going to space is probably a little bit different from, you know, selling software. But yeah, I mean, it's probably worked out. It's worked out. <laughs> it's worked out. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been absolutely a pleasure to chat with you appreciate your perspective and uh yeah th thank you again thank you so much for joining us now thank you guys and keep up the good work this is an interesting podcast it's fun to listen to glad to hear thank thanks you. for thanks for coming ron we're so happy you were here all right well that's going to do it for our interview with ron ron thanks again for joining us if you don't follow him please find him on linkedin ron whitson there'll be a little tennis racket that's how you know you have the right guy because he loves tennis as you just found out <laughs> um and that's going to do a that's a wrap for going through range i hope you all enjoyed it please do let us know uh if there's other things you want to see throw a comment in the youtube or send us a message on linkedin you can find us as well but let's get ready for next month i'm really excited we're going to kick off january with the six habits of highly effective self. I I covered the name. I, I did it again. <laughs> so, I did it again. Gotta do it by the bind you side. Gotta, you gotta, I am. I, well, yeah, I know, but I just gotta. I gotta. I gotta. I'll like, Vanna White it. I'll just. Uh, yeah. So next <laughs> month, six habits of highly effective sales engineers by by Chris White. It's gonna be a blast. We're excited to see you there and yeah, demojockeys.com to find more information. Get a hold of us. We'll see you guys next time. We'll see you next year. Have a good new year, everybody. Happy New Year. Have a good night. Bye.